There are ways to pray specific and targeted prayers. This can only happen if you're informed. Now, it's important that you realize that whenever a spiritual covering has a breakthrough or a shift, that that shift affects you for the reason I've just mentioned. We see this happening in Israel because Israel, the entire nation was affected when that shift occurred. Israel in one night went from being slaves to the next day being very wealthy. Remember they had bought all the jewelry and everything from the Egyptians and God actually made, notice how crazy this is, their Egyptian taskmasters loaned them jewelry and gold. Is that normally what you're going to do if you, if you got a slave? Nah, uh-uh. that's not what you're going to be doing with your wealth. You're going to be locking it up and looking over their shoulder and putting nanny cams in the room, you know, make sure they don't try to steal your stuff. But they literally loaned them everything and God brought them out of Egypt and in one day they went from being slaves to the next day being very wealthy. Now, that shift when it occurred over Israel affected every single family. When a shift occurs in a church, it affects all of the membership of that church. Similarly, just like in this nation, if we get a president who makes wise decisions and a Congress who makes wise decisions and Senate, it affects this nation. If they make unwise decisions, every, na- every member of this, this nation and citizen is similarly affected by the poor decisions that are made by leadership. I've lived to be old enough that I've seen good decisions made and bad decisions made by the leadership of this nation that affected us, good decisions positively, bad decisions negatively. Amen. And so just like a nation is affected when things happen to its leadership, a church is affected when things happen to that church, that its membership is affected. And we call this a spiritual covering. Churches cover people, ministry coverings. And these spiritual coverings are made up of a number of different things. I wrote a book about it, and I wrote about seven. I, I, since I wrote that book, and my as I you know, sought the Lord more in terms of my personal devotions, I actually felt the Lord whisper to me, there's actually more than seven, and there's at least eight. And so I've added the eighth one, but there are blood coverings. I talked about that last week. They provide divine protection. It's like that that cloud over Israel, everything under that cloud in the desert was air conditioned by day. It turned into a pillar of fire by night and they were warmed and the plunging temperatures of the desert when it gets cold at night, they were kept warm. And this cloud, as I said, was not vertical like we see it painted by the artist. It was actually horizontal over the, over the nation. And everything under it was supernaturally provided for. Remember, they got manna every morning. Clothes didn't wear out. Shoes didn't wear out. The enemy couldn't attack them. There was a rock that followed them through the the wilderness for 40 years, gushing a river of water. So much so that Isaiah said that the desert blossomed like a rose. Well, that's what happened to people under that covering. When a church has a shift in its spiritual covering, then things happen to its members. And these coverings are actually made up of eight different components. The blood covering is that divine protection because when Pharaoh came to attack Israel, you know what that cloud did? It moved from over Israel and stood between Pharaoh's army and Israel as they were at the Red Sea. They couldn't get through it. And it became as black as midnight 
on one side where Pharaoh and his army were, but on the other side, the Bible said it gave Israel light. It's amazing what God will do. Then there are prayer coverings. These access the promises and provisions of God. They're coverings of grace. Grace coverings create an open heaven and cause one to walk in divine favor. There are worship coverings. A worship covering enables access to the glory dimension. There's some things you'll never get in thanksgiving, some things you'll never get in just praise. You've actually got to break into worship. Then there are love coverings. Love coverings are necessary. The Bible said love covers a multitude of sins. doesn't mean it covers it for you to keep on doing ugly things in your life. It means that it covers it so you can be protected and that you can be healed. Woe to the church member that's in a church that doesn't have a measure of love covering because they will eat you alive. They'll pick at you and pull you apart and judge you. And we, we live perhaps right now in the most judgmental era that has ever existed. Everybody's judging everybody right now. Accusing everybody of everything, real or imagined. Amen. That's love coverings. Then there are coverings of the anointing. This type of covering causes breakthroughs and even breakouts, which is altogether bigger than a breakthrough. And whatever the measure of these things are that are a part of the church that you attend, to that same measure, they begin to be influential in your life. And then there are coverings of glory. Coverings of glory bring you into the manifest presence of God. And they impart a measure of God's glory to the extent or to the measure that they have experienced God's glory, they can now provide it to you. There are many churches that have never experienced the glory dimension. They've only gone as far as praise. I'll talk about that next week, and I'm going to just give you a heads up right now. You don't want to miss next week, I promise you. It's going to be one of the most radical eye-opening messages you've ever heard me preach in the 29 years that I've been here. Amen. And then I want... I'm, the eighth is ministry coverings, because ministry coverings are actually those that your church provides or a ministry provides, and they're made up of all seven of those things that I've just got through uh, referring to. And to the measure that those things exist in a church, to that measure, the membership is automatically covered by those things when they buy into the vision of that house and support that local assembly that God has connected them to. I want to move on to the second type of spiritual covering since I covered blood coverings last week, and that is prayer coverings. By definition, prayer coverings provide access to all the promises and the provisions of God that you will ever need in your entire life to fulfill your purpose and your destiny. That might be protection or resources or healing or a miracle or angelic intervention or it might be uh, a, a new job. It might be a breakthrough in a business that, that God's called you to start. It might be divine connections. Anything you need in terms of provisions can be accessed through the prayer covering of a local church. And that doesn't mean that you just have to pray all of those prayers. It means the prayers of that church collectively cover you. And you begin to benefit from prayers others have prayed that are a part of the same house. Amen. Matthew 21, 13, Jesus said, It is written, my house 
shall be called a house of prayer. Now, what do you see when you see a house? You see something that has a roof over it. Am I, am I right? Help me out. Because it's not a house if you don't have a roof over it. And there are all kind of houses from simple lean-tos to tents to, to cabins to, to ranch-style homes to apartments to uh, estates and mansions. But the one thing they all have in common, they might not, not have the same quality of building material or the same degree of luxury, but to, the one thing they all have in common is they've got a roof. And so that covering, as it were, of prayer, Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer. It's going to cover my people. And he said, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, Christians are supposed to make their churches known as houses of prayer. But would you agree with me that we live in an hour when it's not uncommon for churches to be known for everything but? Come on, help me out. I know some churches that are known for their great choir. And all of these things are good, but they're not as good as the main thing. And some that are noted just because they've got a a good speaker. Or some, they've got cutting-edge technology. Or some are known because of their social connectedness. Or some are known because the membership is of an upper class in terms of the socioeconomic dimension, they're known because of their style and their fashion and the cars parked outside and, and everything else. And, and, but there's one thing Jesus said I want my church to be known for. That is, it covers people with prayer. It is a house of prayer. Amen. You see, prayer is what moves God just to get us on the same page. Did you hear about the pastor who died and went to heaven? And when he got to the pearly gates, there was a guy dressed in front of him in a real loud shirt. And St. Peter was talking to the guy in front of him, and he asked him in his name. And the guy replied, I'm Marv Goldman. And St. Peter opened his book and looked and found the name Marv Goldman and said, Hey, Marv, it says here that you were a taxi driver in New York. And Marv said, That's right. Yes, sir. That, that's, that's what I was. St. Peter handed him a beautiful white robe and a staff made of pure gold and said, Here's the keys to your new mansion and pointed and said, that's it right over there. And pointed to this stunning mansion, more magnificent than the world has ever seen. And Marv smiled and entered into the pearly gates with a bounce in his step. And the guy right behind him, the pastor who had just died, thought if a taxi driver gets all of that, I can't wait to see what God's got lined up for me. And he walked up proudly to St. Peter and he said, my name is William Smithers. And St. Peter opened the book and went down the list of names. And and he says, it says here, you're a pastor. Is that right? And he said, that's right, sir. I was a pastor. And he gave the pastor a simple little cotton robe, a plain wooden staff, and a key and said, that's your cabin right over there. And the pastor was flabbergasted. He said, how is it you gave a mansion and a beautiful white robe and a staff of pure gold to a man that was just a taxi driver? Here I am. I've been a pastor all my adult life. I've preached the word. I've prayed. I've fasted. And he said, you give me a plain cotton robe, key to a cabin, and a wooden staff. And St. Peter said, yeah, well, up here we work by results. We go by results. And he said, when you preached, people slept. Amen. But he said, when Marv drove, people prayed. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And I believe that heaven judges things on the basis of how we pray. 
You hear what I'm talking about. It's not just our good works, but how we pray and touch God. When you were divinely created, you need to know this. Everything that you would ever need to fulfill your destiny, God released it into the heavenlies at the same moment you were born. You see, one of the the terrible things that's happened with the introduction of this, I literally believe it is diabolical selection, uh, or natural selection, uh, and it's commonly referred to as evolution. You say, you don't believe that we evolved from monkeys? No, I don't. It's kind of like the little girl that went to her mama and asked that age-old question that every parent dreads, mama, how did I get here? And the mama said, well, baby, it's like this. She set her down, opened her Bible, and said, this Bible says that you were made in the image and likeness of God. God created you. God spoke you into existence. And like Jeremiah, he has a purpose for your life, and that's why you're here. And the little girl was happy and bounced up off her mama's knee. And and in a little while, she came back looking real sad. And she said, mama, I told daddy what you said, and he laughed. And he said, nah, I don't believe that. He, Mama, he said, we are evolved from monkeys. And he said, our ancestors used to be monkeys. Mama, I don't understand. And the mother said, well, baby, it's like this. He was telling you about his side of the family. I was telling you about ours. Amen. <laughs> and that's pretty much how I feel about it, too. Don't tell me about your side of the family. My side of the family was created by God. And so was yours. There's no such thing as an accidental birth. Every person in this building was divinely created. God sent you into this world with a specific call and purpose. You are here to accomplish great things with your life. If you haven't done it yet, it doesn't mean you're not going to. You are here because God brought you here. Why is it then that we as believers often feel like God is surprised when we go back to him later and say, Lord, I feel like this is my call. Now, I need these resources. And then we have to go into fasting and prayer like we're twisting God's arm to give us what he sent us here to do. I personally believe that if you take that position, that that is a lack of faith. It is unbelief at work in us. And this is why we need the light of Scripture This is why we need God to inform us. Because if you come to understand that God is not surprised, he's not senile, he's not old, he's not in his dotage. God can create you and then when you come back and realize you need certain things to do what he called you to do, say, oh gee, I I didn't even think about that. You know, I'd like to help you, but the budget is pretty tight this year. That's not how God responds. When we go to God and we need things released to achieve our destiny and our purpose. You know what he says? I've already spoken them into the heavenlies when you were created. They're already released. Now you got to roll your shirt sleeves up and reach up into the heavens and get busy and through prayer and intercession pull them down along with work, which is a word some people are allergic to. You got to get busy and make things happen in your life by partnering with God. Amen. It's not going to just fall in your lap. And neither are you going to persuade him to make it happen because he's already spoken it into existence. And here's what you need to understand. You access these provisions through only one thing. Whether they're divine connections, whether they're 
breakthroughs, whether they're miracles, no matter what it is, resources, uh, you only access them through one thing, and that is through prayer. Look what happened when we began to pray, and things were not working out with the one bank, and they kept dragging us on and on and on. God sent another bank by we didn't even know existed to ask for a meeting with us, and in a week and a half, they had already approved the loan. Oh, my, my, my. You see, God knows what you have need of before you ask, but you're not going to get it until you ask. James 4, 2 said, you do not have because you do not ask. Churches provide a prayer covering to their members that is far greater than the effectiveness of just that individual member's prayers alone are. Because when you become a part of this church, the collective prayers of this people are a part of the prayer covering. Matthew 18, 18 through 20, Jesus said, Assuredly, or most absolutely, or certainly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Get the context. He's talking to not a single individual, a group of disciples. And he said, whatever you, this group, binds on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Next verse. Again, I say to you. Wait a minute. Again? You didn't just say that, yeah, yeah, that's really what he was saying. If you go back and look at it, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done to the, for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. These three verses are talking about the power of a prayer covering. Because you may be praying on one end of the spectrum, somebody else on the other side of the building is praying, but you know what happening is happening? You're praying prayers of agreement. And you can bind things that are coming against you, and others may be praying, and they're binding things that are coming against you. Your finances, your kids, your children, you can be reaching into the heavenlies to release things, Amen that God has already let go of in the heavenlies that now you just got to reach up and pull. Somebody do this right now because that's what you do when you pray. You're bringing into your life what God has already spoken over your life. Amen. And more than just your individual prayers when you're under a prayer covering that is praying the same thing, you begin to see the synergistic of your prayers being more effective than if you were praying them by yourself. Job had prayed a prayer covering over his family that accessed the promise of God. What was that promise? It was for divine protection. Amen. And it was so effective that in Job, the Bible says, when the sons of God, meaning the angels came, Satan showed up for church that day, like he always does. Amen. You might not go, but I can tell you the devil does. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, yeah, I sure have, but you got a hedge around him that I cannot get through. You see, when you join into a prayer covering, it creates a wall of fire round about you that the enemy cannot penetrate. You say, but wait a minute. Didn't the devil get through that one eventually? Yes, God allowed him to. But what the devil didn't understand was the only reason God allowed him to was because God was going to use the devil to make him be blessed with twice as much as he ever had in the beginning. If we could understand 
prayer coverings. And when we get attacked, instead of panicking, you ought to start saying, where am I going to put this next blessing? Amen. Where am I going to put this extra money? I've already got too much at this one bank. The FDIC won't insure anymore. Where am I going to park this car? Where, what am I, uh, you, you hear what I'm talking about? When the enemy attacks you, that's where your next breakthrough is about to come. What Job did is he prayed a prayer covering. Now, you see, Job functioned within the role of being the father, therefore the priest to his family. He had these teenage boys and girls, or maybe they were grown. They were teenagers certainly at one time. And here's what I want you to know. When, and I've said this before. When you are praying within your God-ordained capacity and position, there is nobody that can pray a prayer more effective than the one you're praying Oftentimes, families forget this, and I have people come to me, and I always respond and say, certainly, I will pray, and I do. Pray for my son. Pray for my daughter. This and that's going on. Pray for my, my marriage and, and all of this, and I always pray, but I also like to tell them, you know, I'm going to pray with you and join with you, but I want you to know that you have even a higher level of authority in praying for this than I do. Sometimes we wait till we have a guest speaker that we think is really anointed. And then we want brother or sister wonderful to pray about this thing. And they come in and they, they pray until they, they spit in your face and get all sweaty and you think you've touched God. Let me tell you what touches God more than their prayer. When you pray in your God-ordained office, God hears you in a way he doesn't hear anybody. I don't care how anointed they are. Amen. Are you hearing me? And I've often used this analogy. It, I, I'm one of 330 million Americans. When I pray for America, it's one citizen praying. Amen. I can pray for my family. I can pray for my wife, my kids, my grandchildren, because that's my patriarchal role. That's my office. That's my assignment. And I can pray for this church because that's my assignment. But let me tell you, when the president of the United States bows a knee and prays for this nation, God will hear him in a way he won't even hear me because that man is in the office of being in authority over 330 million. I'm just one of those that's in that number. You hear what I'm saying? And for that reason, when we see that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, something happened. Y'all remember that story? Jonah said, I'm going the other direction. And God just turned him into a hoarder for a great big old whale out there. The whale swallowed it up. And three days later, Jonah had a change of heart. It's amazing how God can change your mind. And the whale vomited him up, spit him up on a beach. And Jonah was three days' journey away from Nineveh. The Bible said he made that three-day trip in one day. He, he came out of that whale's mouth doing this. Amen. He was, he was marching. And everybody there getting a suntan on the beach that day said, I was there. I saw him. You should have seen how he arrived. He wiped the, the slobber out of his eyes and the seaweed from around his neck. And he took off and came to Nineveh and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And notice what happened. The king on the throne, because of his position now, began to pray and called a fast for the entire nation. And in his capacity of authority over that nation, God heard him 
him and told the prophet and turned and told the death angel, give him 200 more years. Jonah, it's going to upset you, but I'm going to give him 200 more years before the judgment comes because that man prayed. And I want you to know that when you're functioning in your office of assignment, the place God has called you to function from, nobody can touch God like you can when you pray from that place of informed insight. Amen. Amen. And so we'll talk about that in just a moment. And I'll get back to that. You cannot overestimate the powers of, a, of the prayer, the power of the prayers of a church family and what they do for its members. Jesus taught in that text I just read that prayers are synergistic and that when we pray with other believers, it increases the effectiveness of our own prayers. In the book of Acts chapter 12, there's this remarkable story. We're told how Herod began to persecute the church and arrested and promptly killed the apostle James. Church didn't have any notice, any forewarning, and James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, is literally the head pastor, was taken and beheaded. It happened so quick, the church didn't even have time to rally to pray. And when Herod saw that it increased his popularity among the Jewish people, he made a political decision to do the same thing to Peter and have him arrested because Peter was really high profile. He was preaching daily. He was a great evangelist. The problem was is that from the time that James had been beheaded to Peter was arrested, they had come to a festival of holy days called the Days of Unleavened Bread. And so Herod had to put Peter in prison and could not act during this time of consecration because the Jewish people would have been outraged. Everything was supposed to shut down in terms of, of political business and, and court judgments and so forth. But Herod intended to execute him as soon as the, the days of the unleavened bread were over. And this speaks of what happens when a church goes into a season of consecration, a time of no leaven, unleavened bread. It ties the hands of the enemy. And for the days of the feast of unleavened bread, the hands of the enemy were tied. And the meanwhile, the church had the time to organize a prayer meeting for Peter. And they called a prayer meeting at a house and began to pray. You know what happened as a result of that? God did not get a chance to spare James because the church didn't pray in time. But when Peter began to pray, the prayer covering over him would not allow Herod to lay a hand on him. An angel showed up in prison, opened the doors, knocked Pete, bumped him on the side, touched him on the side, the chains fell off. Some of you think it's going to take lightning and thunder and an earthquake and a tsunami for God to set you free. No, one little old angel come up and just touch you on the side and everything holding you back right now. Every chain you've got just fall to the ground. Peter thought he was sleeping. Seriously. Your next breakthrough may come through some, I feel a prophetic anointing. Your next breakthrough may come from something so small all it feels like is a nudge in your side and yet you may very well experience life transformation at that moment and not even be aware of it. People, Peter thought he was sleeping and dreaming a dream. And the angel told him, Peter, 
You're free. And he looked, and, and he was outside the gates of the prison. So you know what he did? He skedaddled over to where the prayer meeting was going on. And he showed up at the prayer meeting where they were praying behind locked doors, knocked on the door, and Rhoda, the servant girl, came to the door and saw it was Peter. And she got so excited, she forgot to unlock the door and ran back to tell those in the prayer meeting, Peter's at the door. It worked. Our prayers worked. They said, what are you talking about, girl? I said, shut up that stupidity. What you been smoking? Amen. And and don't you know Peter's in prison? We got to pray. Get in here and get serious. And what I'm trying to tell you is none of them praying individual prayers thought they could make it happen. But what they failed to calculate was the effect of their prayer covering working together. Prayer coverings can make things happen that you could never make happen praying alone. God can do stuff that will leave your jaw hanging open. Amen. You'll look at it like they did. And Peter kept knocking. Until finally they went to the door and said, well, blow me down. It is Peter. Amen. I'll be, it's amazing. This prayer thing, I can almost see him. Like, wow, it kind of really worked. You know, I didn't know I was that good. Amen. It wasn't that they were that good. It was a prayer covering at work. Amen. I believe it was prayer that caused this other bank to seek us out. We didn't ask. God sent it. Prayer makes divine connections happen. Even though you don't even know that you need it. Prayer can make stuff work out because the God you're praying to sees into the future and all you can see is right now. I've witnessed the effect of prayer in my own home. Jerry and I prayed for our kids. I've told you before, she anointed our children. Lord, did she ever anoint them. She anointed their beds while they were sleeping. She anointed them their clothes while they were at school. She had anointed their, their, their shoes whenever they were asleep. And Shelly and John didn't stand a chance. It's a miracle they didn't slide out of bed. They had so much oil splattered all over the place when those kids were growing up. And you know what happened? God covered them. Amen. I, I want to tell you, don't you give up. You and your God-anointed capacity, God-ordained assignment, you and your position of authority, you can move God, especially when you're linked together with others that are praying with you. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose in heaven will be loosed on earth. Somebody get ready because prayer is going to make some things happen in your life. Breakthrough. Because in life, both we, our families, and the kingdom of God all will encounter different types of situations where we will need different things at different times. There are different types of prayer that are mentioned in the scripture that produce different types of results. Most believers don't know that. They think prayer is prayer is prayer, you know, and that's all you have to do. They don't realize that there are actually different kinds of prayers. I've at least two categories. I wrote a book on this too. There are devotional prayers. Draw a 24-inch circle and then stand in the middle of it. I'll tell you what devotional prayers do. They affect what's in the middle of that circle. Get your family, your kids, put them there. They affect what's in that circle. <laughs> there are seven different kinds of devotional prayers. Seven is the number of completion. You want to complete your devotion. <laughs> 
to God. You want your devotional life to be full and complete. Let me, these seven prayers will help you do that. And, and at the same time, there are five strategic prayers. And unlike the prayers that affect everything in the circle, strategic prayers affect everything out of it. Strategic prayers can affect your city. They can affect your church. They can affect your state, your nation, the world you live in, your hemisphere, everything about outside of that circle. There are five of them. Five is the number of grace. So, so devotion coupled with grace makes incredible things happen. Now, it's important that you know what type of prayer to pray and when. If you have a flat tire, <clears throat> I actually did this one time because uh, a, a lug nut got basically, it was like it was welded on to a rim. I had a flat many years ago. I had to get a hammer and a chisel. And I can tell you that you can actually remove a lug nut with a hammer and chisel. Anybody but me ever had to do that. Okay, I see some hands here. That's not fun, and it's hard work, and, and you bark up your fingers and knuckles, and, and you'll be, you know, wiping perspiration out of your eyes before you're through. Let me tell you what works a whole lot better than a hammer and a chisel, a tool made for that purpose. Amen. You can start a fire by rubbing two sticks together. I just don't want to wait that long to get you to cook my hamburger. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? Somebody bring me a match, if you please. What I'm saying is there's all kind of stuff that it will eventually get the job done. But just like in life, there are specific tools created for certain things, functions, or a task. So that is true in prayer. The seven types of devotional prayer are number one, prayers of thanksgiving. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And then number two, there are laudatory prayers. These are prayers of praise. Enter into his thanks with giving, then into his courts with praise. And then there are prayers of contrition. These are prayers of repentance. It's what Jesus said we should pray. You know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Every person in this building, no matter how long you've lived for God, ought to be praying every single day. Father, forgive me for the things I've done I shouldn't do and the things I should have done that I didn't finish. And we find a prayer of contrition in Psalm 51, David's model prayer of contrition after he committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband Uriah murdered to cover it up. And then the fourth form of prayer are prayers of petition. And I want to show you how most of us work. Most of us skip right around the first three and go straight to number four. And we ask, and God wants us to ask. He said we should pray, give us this day our daily bread. The problem is most of us don't bother to thanking. Most of us don't bother to praising. Even the model prayer begins like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You got to tell him how great he is. And you got to tell him how wonderful he is. And, and you got to brag on God. And you got to thank him for what he's done. And, and then you move whatever prayer hindering obstacles there may be in your life out of the way through prayers of contrition. And then you move on to prayers of petition where you ask. And yes, you should ask. God wants you to. And then you, Jesus even said it. We should say, as I mentioned a moment ago, give us this day our daily bread. Many people don't have because as James said, they don't ask. And then number five, there are 
prayers of dedication. These are prayers where ownership is surrendered, like you pray a prayer of dedication for a child or dedicate the new building we're going to build, like Solomon's temple was dedicated. But it doesn't just happen there. As you live life, you slowly begin to let go of the things that you think you own because you realize it's not yours. And like the guy that I've, two guys I've often mentioned sitting in the, the city square right in the middle of the, the town and the wealthiest man has died and the funeral procession goes by and one of them looks at the other and says, how much do you think he left? And the other looks back at him and says, are you crazy? He left it all. Amen. That's what you do. You leave it all. Do you get the point? You leave it all. You don't really own anything. You just take care of it while you're alive, and then somebody else gets to take care of it after you. Dedicatory prayers are where you start letting go, and it's not about me and my and what I have anymore, and you start really trusting God. And then you come, number six, to prayers of commitment, and these are the result of prayers that come about These are prayers that come about as a result of consecration. You see, I'm at a different place in my relationship with God right now than when I first got started. And there's, I I see people that always are looking, see if this sounds familiar. Come in, let me talk to you just a minute. You ever meet these believers that, that, that they're always wanting to know what's the minimum requirement, what's the least I have to do to be saved. It's always, will this send me to hell or not? And you hear churches that build their entire message about that. You smoke, you're going to go to hell. Somebody asked me, will it send me to hell? I said, I don't know. It just makes you smell like you've already been there. Amen. And, and they said, and I'd go on to tell them, probably if God wanted you to smoke, he'd put your nose on the top of your head and call it a chimney. And just... I don't think you're doing yourself any favors. You hear what I'm talking about. I don't want to be connected with this group that's always looking for the bottom line, what, what sin and, and what isn't. I want to be able to go beyond that and say, God, there's some stuff I'm just giving up because I want to lay it down and dedicate it to you. And are you, does anybody relate to what I'm talking about? There was nothing wrong with Abraham having Isaac That was God's plan, but here was what was wrong with it. When you take ownership of the vision, God has to come and say, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him back to me because somehow or another you stole the title deed to this whole vision and I can't bless it because my name's not on it anymore. And that happens in a ministry. It happens in a family. It happens in a business. It happens in a corporation. It happens with a lot of things. And when you go through this progression, which is what it is, thanksgiving and then laudatory prayers and and right on down the line, prayers of contrition and, and prayers of petition and you move on to prayers of dedication and prayers of commitment, you, you find yourself not only surrendering ownership, but you even give up some stuff in your life that you nobody asks you to give up. I hear people say, is it wrong to watch this kind of a a deal of pornography or what. And, and I'm, I'm wanting to look at him and I'm wanting to say, is that really what you're about? You're really about wanting to know what the bottom standard is you can do to get by? Because it's like Job said, there's no taste in the white of an egg. And there isn't. You boil an egg, it's pretty bland, the white is. If you fry an egg white, and that's what you eat for breakfast because you're on a diet, let me tell you what you do. You mix some bacon grease with it, it'll make it palatable. Amen. And get you a biscuit. <laughs> Otherwise, there's no wh- taste in the white of an egg. You hear what I'm saying? 
And it's the same thing in the kingdom. There's no taste living in the outside. The flavor is getting in the middle of this thing. And the flavor is buying into the, the, the promise of what God has for you. And that brings us to the seventh form of prayer, and I'm about to close, and that prayers of intimacy. These go beyond that. That's when you have moved beyond thanksgiving and praise, and now you're coming into worship. There are seven Hebrew words for praise, and the last one is talil, and it means talila, and, and what it means is to sing, and we think it means singing to God. There are all these words for praise. Clap your hands, shout, uh, bow, all of these different things that we see and um, dance even, and it dance, and, and, it, and your devotion is actually a very beautiful thing. I've had the Spirit of the Lord come upon me where I just didn't want to sit still, and I, I got so excited and happy I couldn't keep my feet still. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Has it been so long since that's happened to you that it maybe needs to happen again? Yeah. Amen. You say, I'm reserved. You, you let God heal your cancer and see how reserved you are. You let God do a miracle for you, and you're going to get unreserved in a hurry. Uh-huh. Yeah. But there are prayers of intimacy, and that's when you go beyond praise to worship. And if you read the Song of Solomon, you will find that it's not you singing to God. It's God singing to you. That's when worship is powerful. Prayers of intimacy. And then there are the five strategic prayers. Number one are prayers of intercession. Abraham, Genesis chapter 18, verses 22 through, 20, uh, through, through, 20, through 33, prayed that prayer to intercede before God on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm alive right now because of the power of intercessory prayer. I was raised by an intercessor. Don't you quit praying for your kids. Don't you, you get under a prayer covering and, and you say, somebody join with me and you join together because prayer changes things. I remember I left home when I was 15. I was turning 18, and I'd been in professional rock music for several years and all of the drugs and everything else. And one night I was standing in a, a drug pusher's home, and I'd been drinking whiskey. I don't even know how long. Yeah, I know you don't think I ever did that. I, I look like an angel and, and act like one and... Amen. I got some of you fooled, I guess. My wife can tell you the inside scoop. I wasn't an angel, far from it. And I was standing there that night, and we got into a fight. And that guy pulled a gun and shoved it in my face and started to squeeze the trigger. He later went to Angola for 20-some-odd years for taking a knife and just cutting some people to pieces. And, and do you know, he looked real strange and uncocked that gun and dropped it by his hand, and I couldn't even defend myself. I was so wasted. And that guy looked at me and said, I don't know why I'm changing my mind, but get out of here because if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. And two days later, I called my grandmother. I had been gone for several years. And my grandmother, first thing was not how you doing, not how is everything, not, not, or, or, can I help you? And her first question, her first statement was something was going on Tuesday night at 7.30. Richard, what happened? And I, I felt the hair on the nap of my neck stand up because that was when I was standing in that man's home with a gun shoved in my face. And she said, I prayed the death angel away from you for two hours at 7.30 on Tuesday night. I want you to know prayer can change things. And, hear what, and I didn't pray that prayer for myself. 
Somebody else was praying that was a part of my covering. And that's what I'm trying to tell you is that when a covering is in prayer, God begins to do things in your life in response to that covering. Amen. Amen. And then there are prayers of agreement where any two or three agree. You multiply the effectiveness of that prayer. There are declarative or confessional prayers. Revelation 12 and 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Do you know what that means? They confessed the word of God. And that's what you ought to do. Like those verses I read a while ago where God, you ordered it so, meaning harvest to come. You confess the word of God over your life. That is a strategic form of prayer that moves God. You confess it over this nation. I am a little bit disturbed right now. I don't ever preach politics. You don't know how I vote because I never even tilt you toward a candidate. I, I won't do that. I will from time to time take issue with some things that are happening. Like I need you to understand right now, abortion is simply not right. Amen. And it, it, this nation will answer to God if it doesn't do something about this. And I, that doesn't mean I'm judging anybody. If there's anybody here that's had one or a dozen, I love you. I want you to know that. But there's a world out there that's trying to tell you all kind of stuff is okay. And political parties now are embracing all of these ideologies that for the life of me, I cannot understand. And, and do you know what's going on in the church world? We're borrowing the Philistines' cart these days. Yes, we are. The Philistines sent the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel on a cart pulled by oxen. We have forgotten how powerful our tools are. And we're now beginning to employ the tools of the enemy and the world out there. They didn't work for them. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. You can get more done in prayer than anybody can do in all this other stuff that's going on. And hear what I'm saying. You have to take a stand for what's right. That's, don't misunderstand what I'm declaring. But you know what you do? Instead of speaking curses and death over this nation, speak life over this nation. Tell God, I declare that this nation is going to be a righteous nation and be blessed. I declare our best days are ahead of us and not behind us. I declare you're healing your land because you said where your people will humble themselves and pray and repent of their wicked ways that you would heal their land. I declare it. I declare that you've appointed this. You've ordered it for this nation. You speak that confessional prayers. That's also when prayers become warfare prayers. Sometimes you can't just sit back and just be content with what the devil's doing. You got to take it by force. Hey, that's what Jesus said. Amen. Paul said, we're called to be soldiers. I got to, I got to quit. Elijah on Mount Carmel is a typical type. It is a stereotypical, the quintessential type of warfare prayer. Let the God that is God answer by fire. Amen. And then number five, there are governmental prayers. What are governmental prayers? It's not praying for our government and our leaders. So we are instructed to do that. That is actually petitional prayer when we do that. Paul says we're supposed to pray for our leaders. And he said that at the time they had one of the most hideous leaders that ever lived, Caesar, Nero Caesar, sitting on the throne. Paul said you have to pray for the powers that be. They are ordained of God. Oh, that's going to upset some folk right now. But let me just tell you something. You want to change this nation? Go to praying. The church does more on its knees than it does any other way. 
the church can move God. We can make a revival break out in this country. You need to understand the power of prayer. You're under a prayer covering. And I, I'm going to close right now, but before I do, and speaking of where we're at right now, because God have mercy, I've never seen so much division, so much animosity, so much junk. You don't know what to believe if you turn on the TV anymore. You, uh, people are twisting and, and uh, stuff, and God have mercy. It, it, it's almost like, I, I tell you, personally, I started watching the BBC. That's British Broadcasting Company. I, won't even, I, won't, I don't even want to see this mess here anymore. I've got an app on my phone, BBC. I go to the BBC. Because you don't know what to believe here. Let me just say this. A lot of people are concerned, but I want to tell you something. God knows how to speak through a jackass if he's got to. And I'll tell you something else. God shook everybody up when he referred to Nebuchadnezzar as my servant Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king worshiping idols. And even had one made of himself and asked everybody to fall down and worship that one. Listen to this. I'm, somebody sent me this, and I want to play it for you, and I hope it doesn't upset you, but I want to t remind you that strategically we are to pray. This is a clip from Clem Clement. Anybody remember Clem Clement? He just died. That man was a prophet. I've had him here before. He called people by name he had never seen in his life. He's called people and given them their addresses. I'm, I saw some stuff. He was like Lloyd Bustard. He had a prophetic gift. Well, Kim just died here a few weeks ago and went to be to glory, um, to be in glory. He had uh, brain hemorrhage. This is a prophecy he made in 2007. Mark the date. In Redding, California, this is where Bethel Church is located. He made this prophecy in 2007. Put it up on the screen. This that shall take place shall be the most unusual thing. A transfiguration. A going into the marketplace, if you wish. Into the news media. Where Time Magazine will have no choice but to say what I want them to say. Newsweek, what I want to say. The view, what I want to say. Trump shall become a trumpet, says the Lord. Trump shall become a trumpet. I will raise up the Trump to become a trumpet and Bill Gates to open up the gate of the financial realm for the church says the Lord said, I will not forget 9-11 I will not forget what took place that day and I will not forget the gatekeeper that watched over New York who will once again stand and watch over this nation says the Spirit of God it shall come to pass that the man that I place in the highest office shall go in whispering my name. But God said when he enters into the office, he will be shouting out by the power of the Spirit. For I shall fill him with my spirit when he goes into office. And there will be a praying man in the highest seat in your land. There will be a praying president, not a religious one. But I will fool the people, says the Lord. 
I will fool the people. Yes, I will. God says, the one that is chosen shall go in and they shall say, he has hot blood. For the Spirit of God says, yes, he may have hot blood, but he will bring the walls of protection on this country in a greater way. And the economy of this country shall change rapidly, says the Lord of hosts. Listen to the word of the Lord. God says, I will put at your helm for two terms. A president that will pray, but he will not be a praying president when he starts. I will put him in office and then I will baptize him with the Holy Spirit and my power, says the Lord of hosts. Come on! You can take that any way you want to and say, I don't believe it and I need to do whatever, whatever. And I'm not, all I'm saying is when the church prays, we can cause God to do things that nothing else can make happen.